The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Last Sunday, uh, you saw all of his accolades. I want to introduce uh, him in a way that I think will really help you get to know him. Um, He pastors uh, Faith Baptist Church in Bartlett, Tennessee, and it's a church like us. Um, They are a church that believes in church planting, in uh, rescuing churches that are struggling and dying. They believe they have a strong missions commitment. And uh, we had a mutual friend, Steve Fowler, who's all, on, now on our staff, our missions and church planning pastor. And so uh, he, we had a chance when we were in Tennessee to meet. And uh, I, I, I was invited by Brother Danny to be a part of their staff meeting. And uh, they allowed me to share our vision, Emmanuel's vision, to plant churches in our entire region. And then more than that, they've agreed to partner with us for $6,000 a year for the next three years. Would you like to express your appreciation for that? So that's what helps us. That's what helps us start Redemption Church in Gillette and help us start our next church as well. And, uh, and then I heard him speak to his staff. And when he was speaking to his staff, I thought, that's a guy that I want to speak to my staff and my people as well. And so I know that you are going to resonate with Pastor Danny. Would you give him a warm Montana welcome? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Thanks for being part of us today. Thank you, so much. thank you so much. And it is an honor to be here. My wife, Rhonda, and I have been anticipating and looking forward to finally meeting uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church. You guys are legendary in our part of the state. Some of you know that Tennessee Baptists have had a Montana partnership for several years in recent past. And I had one opportunity to come uh, and visit Montana during that time. And Rhonda's first time, so she is like loving Montana. Um, so not only $6,000, we might come hang out with you more and more. So, But we uh, are honored to be here. Your pastor is, um, if the church is legendary, your pastor is like the man um, if where we're from. And I know that you love him. He loves his people. Here's what I've noticed, that God has a great history of blessing churches who love their pastor and blessing churches where the pastor loves the people. And I can tell you that your pastor loves you. He uh, speaks uh, so uh, glowingly of uh, his church family when we were together, and uh, we've loved that. And by the way, Pastor Paul, thank you for serving on the executive committee of the Southern Baptist. Um, we're glad to have Montana represented finally. After, you know, a million years, you finally are, uh, have some representation. So we're grateful to have, uh, have Pastor Paul in Tennessee once in a while. So the standing invitation. Um, so we, we share that. We uh, love our people. We love our church. In fact, Ron and I are in our 24th year as the uh, pastor of Faith Baptist Church there in Bartlett, Tennessee. Um, we'll begin our 25th year in October. And uh, history, historically, I have tried to find ways to love our people in small ways, just little ways to show your people that you love them. So early on, when we first started uh, our church, we were uh, probably about 300 members. And so I, I began to write birthday cards to every member on their birthday or, you know, the day before, two days before. And so I've just kept that little practice going now. So it's kind of a busy thing, uh, you know, as the church grows to, to do that. But on one occasion recently, not, not terribly long ago, I had a pastors have moments where we, um, you know, we get into trouble without trying. You ever done that? 
I mean, we're, we're minding our own business. We're not even trying to get in trouble. And so I'm writing. I, I noticed that the man's name, uh, of course, was in front of me. And he was a relatively new member. I think this might have been my first birthday card to write to him. He is a FedEx pilot getting ready to retire. And so that week, I had selected a particular passage from Deuteronomy. I always write a note and uh, say a nice word. And then at the bottom, I put a really nice Bible verse down at the bottom, a particular verse for the guys or a particular verse for the ladies. And on this particular week, I had chosen Deuteronomy 31.6 to write in the cards. And, and Deuteronomy 31.6 reads, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. But on his card, I don't know what happened. Um, the phone rang, or I just had a glitch, or whatever. So a few days after I mailed the card, this new member sent me an email and said, Dear Pastor Danny, thank you so much for the birthday card. It's been a long time since I had a pastor write me a card, all and all that. He said, But I had a little question about the verse that you wrote in my card. And he wrote the verse down. Well, it wasn't Deuteronomy 31.6. He wrote down Deuteronomy 31.2, which reads, And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. So he uh, is still a member, thankfully, but we've had a lot of fun with that. I, I don't know if he was just messing with me or if that really happened, but it was, a, it was a good moment for me. If you have your Bibles, open to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11. I had the privilege of sharing this text with our congregation last week. It's one of my favorite stories in Luke's account of the movement of the Holy Spirit in the first century. And uh, this is a, a snapshot of first century um, uh, amazing, miraculous movement of God. In fact, uh, someone has said that the 21st century is looking more and more like the first century. And so I, I think that what we see here today in this, in this beautiful moment of seeing the church that, you know, the church at Antioch, a church that changed the world, uh, we see some of the same patterns beginning to, to recycle. We're going to be living through in, re, in, you know, in coming days some of the things that they, they encountered. So I don't know your tradition here, but uh, I have this terrible thing about asking people to stand and reading of God's word. So I'm just going to practice a Tennessee tradition. Let's stand together. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 and following. The scripture says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came he had, and had seen the, the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And you know this, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Let's pray together again. Father, thank you for our friends who are here today. Thank you for the privilege we have to share together this time in worship. God, how our hearts have already been stirred. Thank you for the fellowship here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And God, I pray that you would speak now to our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I, I'm just sharing um, a little outline, and uh, hopefully there will be some, uh, some points here along the way that God would use to prick 
our hearts together and that God would use to, to help to motivate us and inspire us to a greater level of sincerity and our commitment to the gospel. I've said by way of introduction, the church, the church at large, the church, God's people universal, the church is God's primary vo- voice for sharing the gospel with our neighbors and the nations. Think about that. Now, we know that God speaks in multiple and sundry ways. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. When you, uh, uh, I don't know how you guys, if you guys are accustomed to seeing the beauty of Montana, let me just tell you, you live in a very beautiful place. And so you should, he- you should hear the voice of God regularly. God's voice speaks through that inner, uh, you know, that still small voice of his spirit to us. God speaks through his word. God speaks to us, his word, the living word of God. We can, we can actually know God's voice in his word because it is the inspired word of God. But then when we talk about sharing the good news, sharing the gospel to our neighbors across this state and across our country and literally around the world, it is the church's responsibility and our great privilege to be the spokespersons, to be the spokesman, if you will, to be the voice of God in a world that's hurting and lost and broken. How many of you know we live in a broken world? I mean, we are living in a world that is in desperate need of, of the good news. And so uh, just a reminder, the church is God's voice. We uh, here in Montana, uh, you in Montana, us in Tennessee, we have the same responsibility. And, and I want you to see how this played out in the first century in a particular time frame where God's people were facing uh, a critical time of persecution and difficulty. Notice the context of the ministry of the church at Antioch, the context. Every church has a context. I was doing a little study of your church. Your church is the oldest, uh, longest tenured Southern Baptist church in the state of Montana and uh, the largest and one of the most significant churches literally in our country uh, because of your missional focus, because you guys have got, you guys, uh, let me just say this, I don't know if you know this or not, but you guys are doing it right. And uh, we're going to see, you're going to see reflected in the church at Antioch some things that should look familiar and even sound familiar to the things that your pastor and uh, that you've been involved in for years. But I want you to think about the context in the first century. First of all, notice the dangerous setting. Um, the passage that we read start off with words that should ring bells and whistles. Uh, there's persecution and scattering. That sounds like uh, a very hostile time for the gospel. In fact, the first century, um, was the heat was getting hotter and the persecution was getting greater. And there were people upon the persecution of Stephen, the scripture says, after Stephen, the first uh, martyr was killed there. You can read about that in Acts chapter 7. There, there was a fury of hatred and hostility. And you know this. Growing in America is an increased hatred and hostility toward all things Christian. You've noticed this, right? That the the Christian faith, the Christian man or woman, uh, the, the media has been given green light to go after Christians. We're the only religious group in America that it is open season on. I mean, you try to talk about the Muslims the way that we're talked about. It wouldn't go very well. And so we're seeing some of the uh, similarities, some of the same kinds of context, a very dangerous setting around the world. And, and, and we think about not only in America, but around the world, there are people today that are worshiping at their own peril. There are people today who are, you know, at any moment, they could be locked up, they could be killed for their expression of Christian faith. And so we're living in that kind of world. Well, here in Antioch, not only were they uh, were they from a dangerous place? They were now planting in a dangerous place. Antioch would not have been uh, probably the <clears throat> the brightest spot on the map in the uh, ancient world to, to, for a church to be planted. 
Antioch was a Roman colony, one of the leading Roman colonies uh, behind Rome and Alexandria. It was a place so pagan and so secularized that one of the Roman historians named Cicero wrote these words, that, that Antioch was a place of learned men, learned men and luxurious immorality. Well, that sounds just about like every major city in America, doesn't it? A place where people are hurting and people are broken and people are looking for something that that will fill up their empty hearts. And and so actually what looks like on the outside a terrible place to plant a church was exactly the perfect place for God to show up and for God to do great things. Not only do I want you to see the dangerous setting, but notice the delivery system, the delivery system that God chose to use. In fact, I love this passage so much because the only name we recognize so far is Barnabas. You know him from uh, the history of the past of the church. And then Saul, Saul of Tarsus. We're going to learn more about him as the story unfolds. But the scripture here says that, that God used nameless men. The scripture simply calls them some of them. Some of them. Men from Cyprus and Cyrene. They are nameless and unknown. And I want to remind you that God has a history of using unknown people to do some of the greatest things in all of the world for his glory. And here's why I think that is. So that at the end of the day, these men don't care who gets the credit as long as God gets the glory. And this is a beautiful picture of how God operates and the very kind of context that God seems to show up big around. So this, uh, this delivery system was uh, interesting to me. But notice the defining statements around this context because there are two or three phrases that jump out at me and make my heart beat really fast as a pastor. Um, so Barnabas um, is sent by the church at Jerusalem. Go and find out what in the world is going on. Um, there have probably been people who have come to spy on you guys. Go and just see what in the world is going on in Emmanuel. And Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he goes, and the Bible says that he found evidence of the grace of God. Can I just ask you to think about that phrase for me? He saw, he found the grace. What does that look like? I, I, I wish I knew you better. I wish I knew you more. Your pastor knows you and loves you. He could, he could go around the room talking about the evidence of God's grace in your lives. Broken lives, broken marriages that have been healed, broken hearts that have been Uh, you know, rekindled and reformed and reshaped for his glory. This room, no doubt, is filled with people who um, have beautiful stories of God's grace. There is evidence of the grace of God here this morning. Not only did Barnabas see that, but one of the other uh, defining statements, the Bible says in verse 24, many people were added to the Lord. I love that phrase. I get so excited when I hear about um, lost people coming into relationship with the Lord Jesus. That is the, is the most beautiful miracle of all. There are a lot of miracles in the world, but when someone passes from death to life, from darkness to light, we ought to celebrate that. The Bible says that there's rejoicing among the angels of heaven over one sinner that repents. And, and folks, listen, when someone professes their faith in Christ, when someone is baptized, wherever you guys move this thing around to, I love that. I asked last night, I came to look, I said, that's the horse, horse trough, right? That's where the horse... No, that, so so when, when someone is publicly professing their faith in believers' baptism, now I don't know how it is here in uh, the state of Montana. You guys like football here? It's a big football state, like the Montana... Uh, uh, college team. You have one, right? Yeah, you do. Probably. Yay. And uh, so we have several, of course, in our area. And people get so excited about, about silly things that don't last, don't really matter. But, but here's, what, here's my point. When someone gives their life to Christ or when they publicly profess their faith in Christ, church family, we ought to say so. We ought to let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We ought to, we ought to, we ought to get a little bit in the spirit on the Lord's day. Amen. 
I know I'm talking to Baptists, so I've got to be careful because it kind of you know, scares us a little bit. But we, there, there's some enthusiasm that ought to happen when we see that. So one of the defining statements was also this. They, they called these followers of Jesus disciples first. Our Christians were called, uh, disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Christians. Maybe, some scholars believe, it was used in a disparaging way. These are the people who follow the Christ, that crucified Nazarene. These are they who are, who are little Christs. They're imitating and they're modeling. And let me just say this as a pastor in the 21st century. I know Pastor Paul resonates with this. I would to God that the world on the outside would look at our, our members' lives and say, they look like Jesus. That's our hope. That's our goal. That's our desire that we would, we would so love, we would so care and show compassion, and we would be salt and light in this broken world that people would say, you remind me of Jesus. You remind me of Jesus. So uh, the, the, the context of the, of the ministry there in Antioch. Secondly, notice the content of their message. Now, here in uh, Acts 11, we only have just little snippets of uh, what they were talking about, but it's enough. Because the Bible says here in two, two different places that they're talking about Jesus. First, they're going to the Jews. They're finding folks that have some common religious background. These are now people who were refugees. They found themselves, you know, 300 miles, 400 miles from Jerusalem. They're, some of them have done business perhaps in the city, but they, but they don't know a lot of people. And so they're, they're looking for some common ground. They speak, first of all, to the Jews only. But some of them men from Cyprus and Cyrene began to cross the barriers and the boundaries. They began to cross linguistic boundaries and ethnic boundaries. They began to talk to the Greeks and the Gentiles. And this is really a beginning of the explosion of the gospel to the, uh, to the Gentile world. And it's going to pick up pace from here. So we have here the, uh, a reminder about their, their message. First of all, I want you to notice it was a relational message. It was a highly relational message. I would imagine that here's some guys who, you know, they packed their families together. They, they got to Antioch the best they could, crossed the, uh, you know, they're in the Mediterranean and, and, and landed there. And they had their possessions. And, you know, they were having coffee at Starbucks. And uh, so somebody there in town noticed that they, you know, had their suitcases. And they said, now, what brings you folks to town? And immediately there was an opportunity for them to talk about the relationship that had changed their life. They had heard the story about a man named Jesus, God's son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they had put their faith and trust in Jesus. And, and Jesus literally changed their life. And it was a beautiful story of their relationship with Jesus. Can I just say that every follower of Jesus has a relational message to share with their, with their neighbor? If you don't have, you know, you don't have any scripture memorized, if you don't know, uh, you know, the Roman road or evangelism explosion or all those different initials, faith and all those different things that we've tried to teach through the years, the one thing you have is your story. And the most powerful and the most beautiful message that you could ever share is simply let me talk to you for a minute about how Jesus changed my life. Because that's relational. That's real. That's authentic. That's what people are hurting for and hungry for and are looking for in this lost world that we live in. So not only was it a highly relational message, but notice that it was a transformational message. It was a, it was a message that once offered and once embraced literally began to change the climate of that, of that lost pagan city known as Antioch. People began to come in large numbers, a great number, the Bible says in verse 21, a great number believed and turned to the Lord. This was, a, this was the beginning of a, a movement in an unlikely place where you'd never think that anything great could happen for God. Here we see it. 
There are, there are scores, hundreds, maybe thousands of people that are coming to faith in Christ. There's a movement of God. And, and I, I know that Pastor Paul would agree. I am longing for that. You know, he, he and I have been doing this a long time in the same church. We, we love our people. We're not going anywhere until Jesus comes. We want to stay and see what God does in our churches. But I'm longing for a moment that becomes a movement. When, when people uncharacteristically begin to show up at church or begin to say, call you on the phone and say, hey, are you going to church on Sunday? Can I come with you? So I don't know. Something's going on in my life. And this was what was happening. It was a transformational moment. Do you remember how powerful the gospel impacted your life when you first believed? I want you to go back there just for a second. I want you to think about when you were a child or a teenager or a young adult or maybe recently when you heard the gospel and when it, it took root in your heart and exploded and, and you said, I don't care what people think. I don't care what anybody says. I'm giving my life to Christ. I'm trusting Jesus. Do you remember uh, how that felt for the first time? I never will forget. Um, the first time I actually witnessed with my eyes the power of the gospel uh, began the transforming work in another person's life. I um, didn't grow up in the church. My family um, never attended church. Memphis, Tennessee, a church literally on every corner. Um, we never went to them, and they never came to us, and we kind of left them alone, and they left us alone. I'm the youngest of five children. My older siblings had a little bit harder time than I did because my dad was a kind of a mean alcoholic. He worked every day. He was an engineer for Hunter Fan Company, and by the time I came along, he was a little bit older and got a little bit softer. And uh, I had come to know Christ as a 12-year-old at a camp, uh, a different, different story, different time. But I found my way to a Baptist church where I met Rhonda. Rhonda and I have been friends since the 8th grade, uh, 13, 14 years old. And um, I knew that I loved her early on and uh, didn't have the courage to ask her out on a date, Pastor Paul, till our senior year. And she said, uh, let me think about it. <clears throat> so... But eventually she said yes, and uh, the rest is history. 37 years later, we're still hanging out together. Um, so um, I sensed uh, as a young teenager, 15 years old, that, that God was calling me into ministry. And it's hard to explain that. You know, you've had men, uh, uh, people called out of your church here that are called to missions, ministry. And so I was wrestling with it, struggling with it, and I, I talked to my, my youth pastor about it. And he said, well, you know, when you're ready, you make it public and make a commitment, and the church will begin to pray for you. So I did that on a Sunday morning. Now, in, in Tennessee, what that means is this. When a young man surrenders his life to the ministry, and especially back in the day, it was always a call to preach. And so what they did was they wanted to find out if you were really called. And so they set you up to preach in big church the following Sunday night. That's what they did. Big church. Right, because I know you have kids' church, and I was the, I was one of the kids' church preachers. But this was like big church, and so I started working on my sermon. I I began to study and get things together, and uh, man, it, that was the longest week of my life. And finally, that Sunday morning rolled around, and I remember going into the little um, my little little uh, uh, dining area where my dad was having his morning coffee and having his paper, and I sat down across from him. I said, "Dad, uh, guess what? I'm preaching." down at the church tonight. He said, what? I said, yes, sir. He said, what time? I said, seven o'clock. Sunday nights are kind of big in Tennessee. And uh, he said, um, do you think I could come? And I said, well, I think you probably could come. My dad, um, now, you know, is in his uh, mid-40s, probably late 40s around that time. He, uh, he, as far as I know, he had never been in a Baptist church. He'd never been in a church much of any kind. 
um, you know, growing up or whatever. And um, he was not angry about church so much. He was glad that his baby son was going because he had saw, he had seen, he had found some differences in my life. And he, whatever they're doing, you keep going because it's good for you. It's good for our family. But he wanted to go to hear his baby son preach. And I said to my dad, can you do me one favor? This was a little 15-year-old courage. I said, could you not drink anything today? Um, because in my house on the weekends were like the worst. And by Sunday afternoon, it was terrible. At long pause, and my father made a promise. My father made a promise. He said, I'll be there, and I'll, I'll come sober. He knew what I was asking. Well, the afternoon dragged on, and 7 o'clock finally rolled around. It was my time. It was my turn to preach, Brother Paul. And you probably have similar experiences. But, um, you know, when I stood up to that pulpit, and, and the room, room significant uh, number of people, probably about this size of uh, room, and uh, I was nervous as could be, and so I got up and I started preaching through the Bible. I started in the book of Genesis, and I preached my way through to the book of the Revelation and made up some things in the middle. <laughs> and I was finished, completely finished with that sermon in seven minutes. <laughs> I didn't have it. I was done. So we, I prayed, and the pastor got up and cleaned it up a little bit, I'm sure, and gave a gospel invitation. And I do remember this part very explicitly. I was sitting right over here off to the side, and we were singing one of those old gospel invitation hymns. I think it was, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. The configuration of that auditorium was very similar to this one. In fact, um, what happens uh, in um, that church, what happened in that church, where the ministers stood down front, they would stand, you know, off to the sides, there were ministers spread out, and uh, people stood, and and, uh, the invitation was given. And we had to come down to the altar, old, traditional kind of invitation. And I was sitting right down there, standing right down there with my eyes closed. And someone tapped me on the shoulder. Brother Paul is my youth minister. And he said, Dan, your, your, uh, your father has come down. And we thought you might want to go talk to him. And I opened my eyes. And uh, the, the shock was almost overwhelming. Because my father, who had never been to church, he didn't know Baptist protocol. He didn't know that when you came down the aisle, you were supposed to go to one of the ministers, right? Shake their hand, talk to them, whatever. So my dad, we had a, a center aisle just like this. The Lord's Supper table was down. Y'all have a Lord's Supper table somewhere? It's just missing today. Y'all do the Lord's Supper. I'm just checking. All right. So, so the Lord's Supper was uh, right down there. And, and uh, my father had gone down to the front. He was kneeling on both knees, holding on to that Lord's Supper table with both hands. And he was crying out to God out loud. I walked over and knelt down beside my dad. I'd never heard my dad use God's name in a respectful way. I'd never seen my dad pray or never seen him cry, ever. World War II vet, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, we think, and alcohol, self-medication, all that, angry, mean-spirited. But he was saying out loud, he was saying, God, I'm so sorry. Help me, God. I'm so sorry. So I had a little Roman road evangelism training, and I took my dad through a couple of verses, and he prayed that night inviting Jesus to be Lord and Savior of his life. And my dad, who knelt down that night as an alcoholic, shame to his family, by the grace of God stood up a forgiven new creation in Christ. No wonder the Apostle Paul says, if any man is in Christ, he or she, they are a new creature, a new creation. No wonder in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul would exclaim, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone, for anyone who believes. Amen. 
I saw that. And, and my father got up the next day, called his boss, and said, I need to get some help with my drinking problems. And he spent six, uh, six weeks at a rehab center there in downtown Memphis. And I'm telling you, no wonder William Cowper. I, I was so grateful to see the grace of God come into my dad's life. William Cowper, the old hymn writer, has an old hymn, old hymn. It says this, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose what all their guilty stains. I love that line of that great hymn that says this, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Brothers and sisters, can I just tell you, the gospel that we proclaim the gospel that we hear preached, the gospel that we share with others is a transformational truth that can touch anyone, anywhere, at any time. I just want to say, church family, please don't give up on anyone. Don't stop praying for your son or your daughter. Some of us have stories where our sons or daughters are far from God and our hearts are broken. Ron and I know some of that. And, and we know what it is to, to lay up weeping at night, not knowing where they are, or when they're coming home, and wondering if, even if God's hearing our prayers, can I just say, please don't give up on them. Maybe today, maybe this morning, some of you will be compelled to start praying fresh and new for your sons, your daughters, your brothers, your sisters, maybe a, 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 an older parent somewhere along the way that God's word would grab a hold of their heart and begin the work of healing in their lives. I want you to notice one last theme. One last theme quickly that comes out of this beautiful story. And actually, you have to turn the page. Go to chapter 13 because I want you to see quickly the characteristics of their mission. And this, this is what I love about the church of Antioch. <clears throat> there in chapter 13, we meet the men who were leaders in the church, a mixture of Greek and uh, Jewish names. Um, in fact, uh, there's multiple ethnicities represented in that, gr in that group there in chapter 13, verse 1. These are the leaders in the church, certain prophets and teachers. But look down at verse 2, verses 2 and 3. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The word ministered there translates a Greek word that we also use in our English, liturgies. The word, it's a worship word. As they worshiped the Lord and fasted, that was intense time of prayer, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Just quickly, I want to I touch on these three, uh, three things about, about the, uh, the characteristics of their mission. Notice, first of all, they embraced the essentials of, of, of Christianity. They were worshipers. I, I believe this. Before you're ever a missionary, you must be a worshiper. They embraced the essentials. They were praying. They were fasting and praying. They were having intense times of focused prayer. They were, they were, they were, share, they were evangel, uh, evangelizing their, their community. They were making disciples back in chapter 11 again. They were doing what God's called us to do. They have embraced the essentials. Church family, we, we can never leave off doing the essentials. Sharing the gospel, seeing people grow in their faith, worshiping together, and being on mission together. This is, this is the, the beauty of the church at Antioch. This is how God was going to use this church to literally change the world. Not only did they embrace the essentials, but secondly, notice they were sensitive to God's Spirit. The Bible says that while they were praying, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Now, I want you to think for a moment. When's the last time that you've heard clearly the voice of God's Spirit speaking to your heart? You knew. It was, it was clear. It was convictional. Uh, there are times, no doubt, when Pastor Paul has come before the church and come before the elders and the leaders, and he said, I have heard a word from the Lord. Now, we, we don't do that every day. 
Now, we don't say it, and we, we, don't always, we don't always have this moment, but there are times when uh, what, we're, what we're hearing sometimes, humanly speaking, doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, making some huge steps of faith and, and doing some things that will draw criticism, and yet if, if a church will listen, if a church will, will, will be in that intense kind of prayer, it's beautiful when we begin to be sensitive to God's spirit. God was speaking. I think that in our modern day of technology and social media, we've got too much noise. And I think sometimes we need to shut down the artificial so we can hear the authentic. Amen. So not only did they embrace the essentials that were sent to the Spirit, one last thing, they practiced kingdom principles. Now, I know that you guys have been talking about being kingdom people. Your pastor's been preaching to that theme, and and, uh, I want to be sure that you understand what that means. Jesus taught kingdom principles when he said, okay, uh, so you're asking who's going to be the greatest in heaven? Let me explain it to you. Um, The only way to be great in the kingdom is to become a what? To become a servant. The only way to be first in the kingdom is to be what? To be the last. The only way to keep what you have in the kingdom is to do what? It's to give it away. These were kingdom principles. And so the Spirit was clear in telling the church at Antioch, here's what you've got to do. I want you to give away your very best. I want you to give away your, uh, your you know, captain and co-captain of the football team, your best quarterback, your best running back, Barnabas and Saul, but not only to release them, but then, listen, some people don't talk about this much, but then to resource them to that end. The Bible says they laid hands on them and they sent them away. Well, how did they send them away unless they resourced them as well? Who bought the supplies? Who, who paid for the boat? Who did the, you know, the, the, the basic preparation work? It was the church. The church family said, we want to, uh, and, and, and I'm sure, you know, here's what I've learned. In the middle of it, it doesn't feel like that it's, it's, it's work that can change the world. But on hindsight, as we look back, we're thinking, wow, that was a beautiful moment. God let us be a part of something so powerful and so wonderful and so beautiful. And we, we um, were so privileged to be a part of that. For us um, in our church, it looks a whole lot like what you guys have been doing. We, um, our church is located in Memphis on, on the east side in, in the town of Bartlett. Right across the highway from us, <clears throat> three miles away, is the largest Southern Baptist church in our state, Bellevue Baptist Church. Dr. Adrian Rogers was pastor there for uh, 30-something years, and for about uh, 15 of the years while I was uh, at Faith, and, and then he went to be with the Lord. He retired and then went to be with the Lord. So here's what I learned. When you're three miles from the largest church, and in my opinion, one of the greatest preachers in the, in the world, um, there's some things that you know. It's just a humbling thing. First of all, you realize that you're probably not going to be the biggest church in town ever, and so you've got to be good with that. Secondly, you realize that you're, not, you're probably not going to be the best preacher in town. And some of you are thinking, well, God answered that for you. Don't worry, worry about that. <laughs> Rhonda reminds me, so you're not the best preacher in the world. <clears throat> so what then is our mission? What is our calling? What is our niche, if you will? In this? So for us, it was to begin to practice these kingdom principles. We're a little small building, and we were you know, just uh, bulging at the seams, and the building was you know, stretched out there. We had all these people back when we were running 300, 400, 500, a little small building. And God put it in our heart to start a church to, to give away some people. And we prayed that we might give away a, a, a hundred people to start this new work. That was a lot. That was a big percentage back in those days. And, and uh, we'd already sent some people out to strengthen some churches. In fact, Rhonda and our three little boys, when they were little, they, le- they, they, they left one Sunday with a, a team. And they, 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 I didn't think they were ever coming back. 
um, Rhonda said she wanted to go hear some good preaching for a while. So they were helping a church in town. And, and uh, so we, we, we experienced that. But on this particular Sunday, we had called a young man to be our church planter. He and his wife and family, and they'd worked with us for about a year. And uh, they had talked to Sunday school classes and done so many things and recruiting people, and we'd given them green light to do that. And so the Sunday came, Pastor Paul, that we were actually going to call our people to leave, to go plant this church five miles away in a neighboring little town. And I remember standing in front of our people that day, and, and um, I'm just confessing to you, don't tell anybody this, but I had two great fears that day. My first fear was, what if nobody leaves? What if nobody gets it? What if we spent all this money? We've cast all this vision. What if our people are just comfortable where they are? They don't want to do anything different. What if they just stay in their seats and they don't respond? But my second and greater fear was, what if everybody leaves? <laughs> I mean, this guy was good, right? And, and so what if I'm the mission church pastor all of a sudden? And we had never seen that. We never tried this before. But it was a beautiful, beautiful moment for our church when initially 75 or 80 people came down and eventually about 100 people walked out to go start. Some of them to never come back again. We, we didn't make any commitments to, of two or three years or whatever. We just said, as long as God leads you, and maybe, maybe it's for always. And some people have never come back from that. But something happened on that day to a little church that nobody's ever heard about in the shadow of Bellevue Baptist three miles away, a little church called Faith Baptist began to grow not in numbers necessarily, but to begin to grow in kingdom strength and kingdom significance we began to understand this is our calling, this is what God, this is how God's going to use us to change the world from here, and so now for us these 20 you know, years later for us to be a part of that um, that's why I think I, we resonate so much, why I love your pastor so much, why I love Emmanuel so much, because that's, that's, that's what we, uh, we believe God wants us to do. So what, what I want to do real quickly before Pastor Paul comes up here is I simply want to pray. I want to pray around a couple of things. Number one, I want to pray that you will continue to be a kingdom-focused kind of church, that you will never lose that missional, visional, uh, uh, transformational uh, uh, kind of calling that God's because I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I really believe this is what the church ought to look like. And I'm grateful for what God has done, but I, I believe this. You're not finished yet. We, we, listen, until the whole world knows, until the state of Montana hears the gospel, there are so many lost people in this part of our country, and how are they going to hear unless they're sent? And how are they going to be sent unless we, the church, l do the work that God's called us to do? So I'm going to pray that you'll never lose that, that mission of, of kingdom practice and kingdom principle. Secondly, there may be someone in the room today that simply needed to be reminded of the power of the gospel to transform a life. And it might be that you just need a moment to just pray for that son or that daughter or that brother or sister or that neighbor. And I want to just say this, never give up. Never stop praying. Never stop sharing. Never stop weeping over them because it is an amazing uh, amazing reality. What happens? God moves as his people pray. I, I don't even understand. I've been studying prayer forever. How that God in his sovereignty has linked his activity to the prayers of his people. I don't understand all that. But I just know historically as we pray, God moves. And so I want to ask you to do that. I'm going to pray. Pastor Paul's going to come and close out this service. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege we have to meet new friends. And Lord, to uh, be reminded of the, his, the history of your church, a church that no one had ever heard about, a small group of believers persecuted, going through great painful experiences, yet, God, you allowed them to be a part of the greatest work in the world, 
And Lord, you use them as you want to use us to literally change the world. And so, Father, I pray for our friends here this morning. I pray, God, that we'd be reminded of the power of the gospel to change a life. We'd be reminded of the beauty of being a part of the great uh, mission enterprise of your kingdom. And so, Father, I pray that you continue to bless Emmanuel Baptist and bless these brothers and sisters mm-hmm. here today. Yeah. Speak to our hearts, Lord, and help us to respond yeah. to whatever you tell us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All of God's people said, Amen. Amen. I love the fact that uh, Pastor Danny chose uh, Acts 11 to speak from this morning. On uh, September 30th, we're going to have a special day. And I have chosen Acts chapter 2 to speak from uh, that morning. And uh, Acts chapter 2 says that when the day of Pentecost has fully arrived, that they were all together in one place. So on that day... We won't have three services. We'll have one. 9.30, sorry, you'll have to give up your early time. And we will all be together in one place. I want you to stand by for more news as we prepare for a very special day in the life of Emmanuel. And we pray that it'll be an Antioch kind of day. For listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.